We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. We're playing Biggest Bust on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. Uh, biggest bust. That is a name that has a lot of double entendres, I would figure, Matt. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, that sounds accurate. <laughs> okay. Um, you are walking along a beach, Matt. And you find a lamp, you open it up. Um, I don't know if you can hear that. He was going nuts all last episode. Henry the cat is really, really stressing me out right now. Anyway, you're walking along the beach and you find a lamp, you open it up. There's a genie inside the lamp that pops out and he says to you, Mr. Friedman, I will share with you one piece of information about the 2020 fantasy football season. What question are you asking him? And this cannot be a cutesy type of answer where you try to weasel your way, you know, into more questions or getting more than one piece of information out of him. What is the one piece of information that you want? So the uh, the question can't be like, um, can you tell me the exact order of all of the uh, PPR finishes for everyone in the entire league? It can't be something like that. But I guess I would ask for... Um, 
the running back who uh, most outperforms his ADP while finishing within like the top 12? Okay, I like that question. Um, I think that that makes sense. When I'd been yeah. thinking, of, oh, go yeah, ahead. Because I was just no. going to say, like, it's a, um, I, I think the running back position is hard to get right, um, especially if you want to go with like a modified zero RB. Uh, you're really hoping that you hit on one of those later running backs. So, you know, I would basically just try to ask a question that helps me find one of those guys. You know, so hopefully I can find a guy who really outperforms his ADP, who provides value and who does it um, to an extent that is so great that he, you know, does finish in the top 12 of the position. Yeah. When I was thinking of how I would answer this, my question was going to be what running back outside of the um, top or outside of like, you know, after round six, so round seven and on that plays more than eight games scores the highest points per game. Yeah. I mean, I think that's uh that's another way of, of trying to get at it. And yeah, I mean, I think that works, but basically the takeaway there is I think that we more or less had the same idea. Yeah. Trying to, uh, trying to I, find that running back. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Um, before we get into the FFPC stat attack, I'm going to pose a quick question to you here relating to the Rams tight end, Tyler Higby. I want to know, are we sure that he continues on his 2019 trajectory? This is a team that does have other options. They have Gerald Everett at tight end. Of course, there's Robert Woods. There is Cooper Cup, who I like a lot. Um, You know, there's going to be Cam Akers in the backfield, maybe Daryl Henderson. I just want to know, are we really certain that this guy should be going as the tight end eight? So I think people are looking at Higby in um in kind of one of two ways but uh i think in the super extreme way they're kind of cutting up his last season and looking at what he did in the final five games and thinking of that as sort of like the super best case version of tyler higby where like okay, this is a guy who averaged over 100 yards receiving in his final five games. Maybe if things break right, this guy will have like 1,500 yards receiving next year. Like uh, that's, that's outlandishly wild. Like that's not, that's <laughs> not going to happen. You know, like the, the most I think you can realistically hope for is a guy who uh, gets a ton of targets coming his way and who maybe gets like around a thousand yards receiving. But I think even that um, is pretty optimistic. Uh, he had on a, I'm looking at the, uh, the road of his screener right now. Last year on a per game basis, he had a 17% market share. You know, let's say like you bump that up a little bit. That's fine. But you're still looking at a guy who for the entire season last year had just 734 yards receiving. Uh, I, I mean, I think at the most he gets a thousand, you know, like if you bump up his market share. So uh, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we should expect him to uh, be someone who does like this season, what he did in the last five games of the year. But I do think like we should expect him to bump up a little bit, but it's not like he bumps up a lot. Um, 
I think that's a very fair framing to that question. And I wasn't asking it necessarily because I feel that Higby has, that there's a false sense of where Higby should go, be going or what he could be doing. Uh, but I do wonder how much of it relates to the end of 2019. And though we can expect good things, I don't think that's the type of pace you want to extrapolate out across 16 games in 2020. But I think that we are on the same page there. So it's time for today's FFPC stat attack. Tyrod Taylor was active in 19 games between 2017 and 2018. In those games, he finished as a quarterback one 42% of the time. Also, since 2015, he's finished as the QB 17 or better three times. As a reminder, FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we've got a number of tools at Rotoviz specifically designed for FFPC domination. The Chargers have given us pretty good reason to expect that Taylor at the very least opens the first half of the season. This is a team that does have a chance at making the playoffs, at which point perhaps they don't turn things over to the rookie. Taylor has been a very capable NFL quarterback in the times that he has started. He did pretty well, all things considered, when he was in Buffalo. So tell me why drafters shouldn't be paying more attention to Tyrod Taylor, or should they? I have him projected right now for 13 games, and I'm giving the other three starts to Justin Herbert. Um, I don't know if that's a very good estimate or not. It's, I mean, I think, as you said, like Tyrod Taylor looks like he's going to be the guy um, with the defense that they have, um, they being the Chargers, I expect them to be um, in games enough and win enough close games where Taylor will start the super majority of the games uh, unless he he gets injured. Uh, and so, you know, with that in mind, um, we have a quarterback who has a really high rushing floor, uh, which is something we obviously desire from uh, a lot of our quarterbacks. Um, you know, a decent a decent enough passer and he's got the weapons. You know, he has Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, uh, Hunter Henry. And even though uh, he hasn't been great at passing to running backs in the past, he still has Austin Eckler there. Who's one of the best pass catching backs in the game. So Tyrod Taylor is interesting. Um, I just don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know how much I want to invest in him or let me rephrase that. I don't know if you need to invest in him when there are so many other quarterbacks available, but in two quarterback formats, uh, he is much more intriguing. And then also, I think in uh, daily, he's going to be on a week to week basis, uh, someone who's probably undervalued. I have to be honest with you. I think that when Tyrod is playing, he has a very good shot um, on a per game basis of being a fringe QB one. And when you go back and you look at that 42% of the time, it's really not a stretch that on a week to week basis, this is a guy that could be finishing as a top 12 quarterback where it does get challenging is 
you just don't really have enough information at this point in time to know what the Chargers are going to do um, because of all of the questions of COVID-19. Um, and in a way, that kind of does lend itself more in the camp of Taylor playing more games than Herbert, but you just don't know. And like you said, um, I don't think you need to go out of your way to get Taylor, but I was hoping, and you did get to it, that in two quarterback leagues, I think that makes him, though, a great option. Um, what about Ryan Fitzpatrick? Um, I feel less inclined to say that he weathers out more of the um, season than Taylor does, given the fact that I think the Dolphins have to be very eager to get two into the fold. I think Fitz actually plays more games. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. All right, break it down. Well, I mean, I think a big part of it is that uh, the Dolphins have, I think, actually very little incentive to play Tua this year. Like in a nightmare scenario, they play Tua and then he gets injured this year and people are like, they rushed him back. They should have just let him redshirt the entire year. That way in 2021, we could know that he was totally healthy entering the season. And I think Fitz will be good enough on his own. Like he has familiarity with Chan Gailey's offense. He's played five years in Gailey's offense. Like they, they know what they are getting in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I would say it's even possible that they brought in Gailey specifically because they know that Fitz can work really well within his offense. It's not as if like there were teams out there clamoring for the offensive play calling prowess of Chan Gailey. Like, I think it was just who's the offensive coordinator who can come in and who can work really well with the guy that we have at starting quarterback right now. Okay, that's Chan Gailey. So uh, I think Fitz is, is going to be the guy for most of the season. Um, and I mean, I just think him as a talent, uh, he's good enough. Even if he throws a lot of interceptions, that's just something that Fitzpatrick does and people know that, but like he's good enough to be able to hold down the starting job. And I don't think the Dolphins actually care again this season all that much if they lose games. Um, I think they're still kind of in rebuild mode. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I could see them sitting to a, for almost the entire season. Fair enough. Um, that probably does make um pretty high level of sense so time will tell uh we are going to be playing a game centered around players that could be busts in 2020 but before we do let's take a quick moment for a word from our sponsor bet online there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. All right, Matt. Um, the bigger bust in 2020. Austin Eckler or Clyde Edwards Hilaire 
They are going with ADPs of running back 12 and 13. That is a uh, a really good one. Um, I have to go with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, even though I really like him, especially long-term. Um, I think his ADP right now is pretty ridiculous. Uh, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. So Eckler, the percentage of uh, carries that he's gotten for his team has bumped up each year. And now there's no Melvin Gordon. All, all that's behind him is Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly. And, you know, I mean, I think Kelly is going to step into kind of like a Melvin Gordon light type of role. But I would still expect Eckler to have more carries this year than he had last year. He's still one of the best pass catching backs in the league. So even if the offense as a whole takes a step back and there are just fewer targets to go around, I think he's still going to be one of the most targeted backs in the league. Uh, and so I feel really confident in projecting him for over 1,200 yards this year. And, um, you know, I still think he gets around eight to 10 touchdowns. Clyde Edwards Alaire, um, I like him. And I do think that he ends up leading that backfield in targets. But uh, I don't know that it's a slam dunk that he's going to play ahead of Damian Williams or uh, have more carries this year than, than Damian Williams. So even though he's playing in a great offense, I just, I don't see it. I would much rather have, like easily, I would rather have Austin Eckler. Oh yeah, I'm completely on board with that too. For me, it's 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 an easy, easy one to say that I would much rather have Austin Eckler. And in many respects, there's a lot more scenarios in which I can see Edward Tolaire being the bust. You know, my initial reaction when everybody started shooting Edward Tolaire, and though I eventually came around to it, when they started moving him so high up their rookie draft boards, I wasn't really convinced that it was a cut and dry thing that we were going to see Damian Williams get phased out if not lose the starter role to Edward Tolaire. I have resigned myself to the fact that given the fact that the Chiefs used their first round pick on Edwards Hilaire and Williams isn't an exceptional talent, uh, though he has been awesome for them at points, but largely inconsistent. Um, I've resigned that. And in my projections, I have the rookie slated in higher. However, though, I have him coming in with 192 attempts, 53 targets, which is a nice, healthy workload. Um, but with Eckler, and I had to work to bring this number down. I really had to work. I end up with him at 191 attempts, 91 targets. And if you have to ask me which one of those players do I feel it's more likely I am way overshooting, it's probably Edwards Hilaire. Um, so, you know, to me, it's it's just an easy one. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to where you are on Eckler in terms of the opportunities. I'm much lower on Edwards Alaire. Okay. That's fair. Um so I'm assuming then that you would have a pickup for Damian Williams putting him much higher than I have or is it just that you're not expecting a high level of utilization for the running backs? Uh I guess I'm higher on on Williams than you are. Like I still think he ends up with uh a slight edge in carries and um I think Edwards Alaire has more targets, but I think it is something pretty close to a split backfield. Wow. So in that event, then I think that if your feelings and your projection for Williams pan out, then he's actually going to be a player that provides a fair amount of value. Yeah, I mean, that's possible, but he is in FFPC rankings like drafters are taking a stand on both of them. 
you know, like Damian Williams is going off the board as the number 31 back. So, you know, like there are enough people who are looking at Edwards Alaire and wanting him and then enough, you know, like kind of like value drafters who see Damian Williams as someone who's falling down the board and thinking like, hey, I'm going to scoop him uh, outside of the top 30. But like he's going at number 31. So it's not like he's providing a world of value either. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, let's um press along. James Conner or Le'Veon Bell, they're going at 18 and 19. Interesting because we have the former Pittsburgh Steeler and the player that replaced him. I think that uh, as much as I like Le'Veon and think he's going to bounce back, uh, I think he might end up being the bigger bust here. Um, I think that Conner, whenever he returns, uh, you know, like he's supposed to be healthy this year. Um, I think he's going to be the guy right away. Um, I think he's going to be in a better offense, which will give him more touchdown opportunities. So I could see a situation where they end up with a similar, uh, similar yardage total from scrimmage, but, uh, Connor has maybe like five, maybe eight more touchdowns, you know, like if things just don't go well for bell, he had 1,250 yards last year and only four touchdowns. I assume he has a similar number of yards with a uh, better touchdown luck this year. But I mean, playing in that Adam Gase offense, uh, maybe he doesn't have better touchdown luck. Yeah, um, I think that I have some significant concerns about Le'Veon Bell. I've always found myself being a little higher on James Conner um, than it seems like the consensus is. I still feel like his workload it's going to be hard for him to get to or it's going to be hard for him to lose too much of his workload to other players on the team. So it would really just come down to injury. Le'Veon Bell, I just keep going back to the fact that Gaze didn't really want him there to begin with. Um, and I just have trouble getting much excitement within myself generated for the Jets. So um, forced to choose between those players, I would say it would be Le'Veon Bell. Uh, what about Raheem Mostert at 23 or Devin Singletary at 24? Again, that's, you know, running back 23 and running back 24. Singletary um, makes me a little bit nervous um, because I think Zach Moss will get a pretty healthy share of the opportunities there in the backfield, especially at the goal line. Um, whereas Mostert, if he ends up being the guy and it's not hard to imagine him being the guy, if he ends up being the guy, I think he gets a lot of yards and I think he gets the, uh, the goal line opportunities. So I think Singletary has the bigger chance of being a bust. I mean, most are, I think there's significant risk there, but like his median outcome is actually pretty good. And I think that there's also some level of the fact, um, that I think on some level it's kind of getting priced in that there's this worry about Tevin Coleman. Now you could say the same thing with Singletary and Zach Moss, but I think that I wouldn't have expected Singletary's ADP to be going significantly higher than um, running back 24. So for that reason, I think that I would side with you. However, I wonder if we could both agree that these are probably two players and maybe in that 23-24 range, it's hard to say that they'd be a huge bust, but these feel like two of the names that stand out if you were going to make a list of potential busts. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Mostert would be high on that list. Yep. All right. DK Metcalf or Cortland Sutton at 19 and 20? 
I like Sutton a lot, and I think he has a pretty good chance of, uh, you know, basically repeating what he did last year. Like I could see a season with, you know, 1200 ish yards and anywhere from, you know, like six to nine touchdowns, something like that. Um, I like Metcalf, but, uh, I still see him as something of, he's not, I wouldn't say he's like the supplementary receiver to Tyler Lockett, but I don't think like he's the clear number one Lockett is going to get his targets. And it wouldn't surprise me if Lockett ended up having more targets. Plus, they are in an offense that I think just continues to uh, look to run the ball. Uh, And so even though Metcalf is incredibly talented, uh, I don't think he ends up having a 1,200-yard season. Um, Just to continue along kind of some of the logic here in talking with with these two players. So you mentioned that you think uh, it's possible Metcalf isn't the wide receiver one for his team. What about Sutton? Do you think it's possible? And I know that you like Jerry Judy a lot. Do you think it's possible that in 2020, Sutton ends up playing maybe the 1B to Judy's 1A? No. (laughs) No, I do not think that's possible. So that's pretty telling then about where you are on Sutton. And you did say that you feel really good about him. So Yeah, I I like Sutton a lot. And I I like Judy too, but I think it's going to be hard for any of these rookie wide receivers to come in. And, you know, year one, uh, especially with the coronavirus situation, uh, be able to make a big impact, uh, especially considering that, you know, Drew Locke isn't an established quarterback. Uh, he has a new offensive coordinator this year anyway. Um, I mean, you have Sutton competing against Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Like they're both incoming rookies. Sutton should get a lot of targets this year. Okay. And then um, the fact that, as you mentioned, Drew Locke, could be somewhat problematic. The fact that he's throwing to Sutton and you have Russell Wilson throwing to Metcalf, that doesn't trouble you. No, because I still think there are going to be enough targets to go around. And that's really what is driving this. Like, I think Sutton is just going to get a lot of targets. And I don't think that's so much the case for Metcalf. Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't think I'm going to disagree with you there, especially when we have the question of how much Seattle is going to try to pass the ball. And you have to figure that um, Denver could find themselves in a number of situations too, where Sutton's able to pick up some points in garbage time, preventing him from turning into this bust. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster at wide receiver 13 or Cooper Cup at wide receiver 15? I have them projected pretty similarly. But, man, I think Juju has a higher ceiling. Like, I feel like I baked in some conservative uh, fear, for lack of a better word, with my Juju projection just because I was so bullish on him last year. Um, But I do expect the Pittsburgh offense to be better with Ben Roethlisberger back. Uh, I expect Juju to have a better season. Like, last year was just, like, a total worst-case scenario. Um, The Rams offense, I could see potentially, like, taking – a step back even more from where they were last year. Um, Like maybe they get a little bit better, but I don't know if we see cup have a season that's much better than what he did last year. But um, you know, I think in a best case scenario, we can see Juju go back to basically like a 14, 1500 yard season. So I'm going with Juju as the guy I would prefer. Um, But I think it is hard to call either one of those guys a, like a real bust candidate because I do think Cup has a pretty high floor. If Juju doesn't finish as a wide receiver one, for me personally, 
that is going to be such a bust that I might not be able to take it. I think, I mean, that's, um, that's fine. He could be a high-end wide receiver too. That could still be pretty decent. Yeah, that could, Matt, but I just don't know if, if I'll be able to take it. I sit down there again to work out the projections this year, and I think in full honesty here, my projections when I'm doing them out, like using a projection machine or something like that, I always have to dial back because when you're doing it, even if you feel like you're going for the median income and some respects, you're still going for kind of a best case scenario because you're not, I just don't think at least me personally, I'm building in as many speed bumps or roadblocks along the way. I had to dial back Juju again. I just end up with so much love for Juju, just so much exuberance that um, I'm just not going to be able to get over it. That's, you know, it's a personal thing. Of course, I do really like Cooper Cup this year as well. And I think that sometimes I'm seeing myself or seeing myself much higher on Cup than other players. Um, But if I'm going to answer the own question that I created here, um, I actually say that I'm going to go with Juju just because I think the impact of him not being able to play with his starter versus Cup not being able to play with Goff is actually more significant. All other things equal. I think it's fairly similar. So that's why I'm going to go with Juju. What about Keenan Allen and Stefan Diggs at wide receiver 24 and wide receiver 25 respectively? This is, uh, it's, it's an interesting pairing. I am pretty worried about both guys. So I've, I'd say done a pretty good first pass of projections for all of the teams now. And, you know, I'll probably continue to, to make some tweaks uh, here or there before, you know, like we really launch these at action. But um, I think I'm pretty low, maybe relative to the market uh, on Stefan Diggs and Keenan Allen. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that just has to do with the nature of the offenses that they are now in. Uh, Stefan Diggs, I think he's with an offense that's going to be running the ball quite a bit. Um, in Josh Allen, he has a quarterback who has potential, but um, who isn't highly accurate or who hasn't been highly accurate to this point in his career. Uh, he's going to have to fight for targets with uh, John Brown and Cole Beasley, um, you know, adapting uh, to a, a new offense. Uh, he might just be less efficient uh, on a, a per route or per target basis than he has been up to this point in his career. And you can say something pretty similar with Keenan Allen. I mean, you know, for the first time in his career, he has someone other than Philip Rivers throwing to him. And uh, I mean, Tyrod Taylor, not the best quarterback, uh, especially as a passer. You know, like what makes Tyrod interesting for fantasy is the fact that he runs. Uh, and if he runs, <laughs> that's not necessarily good, <laughs> a good thing for Keenan Allen. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, man. Like I, I dislike both of them about equally maybe i dislike Diggs a little bit more um but neither one and i'm kind of surprised that i'm i'm at this point because i i wasn't really expecting to be here with keenan allen um when i was just kind of like shooting from the hip creating rankings but when i've actually created the projections and and tried to split things out you know like on how many plays per game i think teams are going to run and how many times per game they're going to pass things like that like i just uh, I'm much more pessimistic on Keenan Allen than I thought I would be. Maybe I, I go with Keenan Allen as the guy I would actually rather have, 
Um, but neither one is someone I think I'm going to be targeting. Yeah, it's interesting. Based upon play volume, I have less of a concern about Allen. Um, but I think if I remove trying to work through the calculations and kind of that systematic process like that and do an unroto viz type of thing and just kind of go with the gut, I, I have more concerns about Keenan Allen, which is interesting given you have Diggs playing with a quarterback that does give me some things to worry about. And I think uh, deservedly so, but I do want to follow up. So you, you use the terminology fighting for targets. I think you said when referencing Diggs in respect to John Brown and Cole Beasley. Now I know that you love John Brown is Diggs really going to be fighting with the likes of Cole Beasley and John Brown for targets. Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. Like I don't. Okay. So Keenan Allen, um, I think he's going to get a pretty high percentage of targets. Now, kind of regardless of uh, wherever that falls, like I think it's going to be a high number. If you look at what he had last year, it was 26%. The year before that, it was 24%. The year before that, it was 28%. Like he's, he's going to get a pretty high share of targets. I have him ticketed for 26% of the targets right now, which is, um, I mean, like I'd say that's actually pretty close to elite. You know, that's like, that's a high number. Diggs, I don't think is going to have, and let me just kind of talk a little bit more about Keenan Allen here. Part of it is that there is basically no number three wide receiver on that team. Like there are four guys who are going to be getting a lot of targets. It's Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Hunter Henry. There's really like no other player that you're looking at is like, oh, this is the clear number five guy in that offense. So it's very concentrated. Um, and you would think you'd maybe have a situation like that uh, a little bit in Buffalo. But if you look at Stefan Diggs, he has one season, uh, 2018, where he had 27% of the targets. But other than that, you know, the year before that, he had 19% of the targets. Last year, he had 19% of the targets. Like I, I have him projected for around 23, 24% of the targets, but John Brown is going to get his share. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, he, like he is like, he's, I, I think like, what do you think the difference is going to be? Like, I think let's say like Stefan Diggs has 23%. I think John Brown maybe gets like 19%, something like that. I actually have it. I have it at 24 for Diggs, 21 for John Brown. Okay. So that's actually pretty close. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Beasley, what do you think he's going to get? And I, I should say, Beasley I'm doing this on a, a per game basis. Okay. Not that um, that really will change it all that much, but. Yeah. So I, I have this on the whole season. I have um, Diggs at 24, Beasley at 21, or excuse me, Brown at 21, Beasley at 15. Okay. I have Beasley at 16. Here's. Here's one thing that maybe factors into this a little bit more. How many games do you think Stefan Diggs is going to play? I think he gets somewhere around 14 or 15. Yeah. Okay. 15 would be like your, I think, median projection for just like your typical standard typical starting receiver. wide receiver. Yep. Yep. I think it's probably on the lower end of that. Like I would probably put it a little bit closer to 14. Um, and that ends up kind of making a difference. 
Right. Okay. Um, so now I, I actually forget now that we're starting to come full circle on this. Who did you say that you, if you have to choose which one's going to be the bigger bust, did you say it would be Allen or Diggs? Because from what it sounds like, you are really worried about Diggs. I think it's going to be Diggs. Who's the bigger bust. Okay. Um, that's fair. Um, Michael Gallup or Deontay Johnson, 34 slash 35. Uh, Deontay Johnson. Like, I, I think Gallup is going to be pretty good this year. Um, he was great last year. I think he ends up having a season that is kind of close to what he did last year. Like, I think he has a season of like a thousand yards, maybe a little bit more. And let's say like, I don't know, anywhere from like four to eight touchdowns. Like, but I think he's a legit receiver in the league. Like, I, I have him projected for a thousand yards. Um I don't think you could come close to a projection like that for Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I I feel like how people listening might come in, like their response or when they're kind of framing this up, framing this up in their mind might say, all right, well, obviously you have Amari Cooper there, so that's limiting Gallup to some point. C.D. Lamb's coming in. Maybe C.D. Lamb jumps over Gallup. Then, um, you know, if you compare that, obviously Johnson's going to be behind Juju. There's James Washington is there. They might not be as inclined to think that James Washington, um, you know, kind of like supersedes what you might expect from Johnson. But I do think that Gallup is more reasonably priced at this 34 spot than Johnson is at the 35 or not to say that Johnson's necessarily extremely overpriced, but this spot just feels more appropriate for Gallup. So via that, that's why I would say that Johnson probably feels like the bigger bust. Yeah, I mean, Gallup had a 22% market share last year. Like he's a legit receiver. Um, I don't understand why anyone would kind of think that a, a rookie, no matter how good that rookie is, just comes in and automatically takes away from Gallup, especially when you have the targets available by the uh, you know vacated uh, absence of Randall Cobb and Jason Witten. So like even if Lamb gets a ton of targets, there should still be enough targets there to go around for Gallup. And like I maybe I'm just too optimistic on this entire offense as a whole, but I think the Cowboys are going to crush this year on offense. So like just fantasy points for everybody. Clearly, you haven't seen the pictures going around of CD Lamb working out shirtless. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, but yeah, no, I actually, um, I am expecting the Cowboys also to crush it, um, in 2020. And that does not relate to me being a Cowboys fan of any nature. Um, but I really do expect this team to improve upon what it did last year. And in terms of fantasy points, be one of the teams that's generating the most for its relevant fantasy players to close things out for the night. We have Rob Gronkowski at tight end 11 or Austin Hooper at tight end 12. Who is the bigger bust Hooper? Uh, I think, well, yeah, I mean, I'd say pretty easily it's Hooper. Um, the, the issue is we just maybe don't know what to expect out of Gronk. But even if you assume that he's you know, not getting as many targets, and if you assume he's not as efficient on a per-target basis, I still think he's going to be really important to that offense. Whereas Hooper, um, I don't know. Like I, I will say again, fighting for targets. Like I think he's going to have to fight for targets with Beckham and with Landry. And like I don't think he wins that battle. He even has to fight for targets, I say, with Kareem Hunt. So yeah. uh, I mean, Hooper... 
And David Njoku. Well, yeah, I mean, to to an extent, <laughs> like I do think they will end up running a lot of two tight end sets. So like, I don't think it's just going to be like Hooper out there as like the the one tight end who's just crushing everything. Like Njoku will probably get enough of the targets that it will really annoy everyone who invested in Hooper. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I mean, I think it's I think it's going to be a big step down from the Atlanta production of uh, 2018 and 2019. My take on Gronk is he doesn't do a whole lot, but he gets enough touchdowns that you're getting a closer return on your tight end 11 ADP than you do with Hooper, who very honestly, when I went through my projections, I came out so low on that he wasn't even like a fringe tight end one. And that wasn't me doing anything radical in my mind saying, I'm going to make Austin Hooper, like I don't feel good about him. He's going to have to do poorly. That was just very simply when you sit there and you go through that roster, unless they make it a huge point to get him highly involved, which I don't think that you can do when you have Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Odell Beckham, and Jarvis Landry. It just doesn't work out for him being anything more than a fringe tight end one at best. Yeah, and in Cleveland's offense, I mean, I think this is maybe one of the biggest parts of it too. Uh, I think they're going to run the ball quite a bit just based on what Kevin Stefanski did in Minnesota. And so like if it were a run, uh, if it were a pass leaning offense that played at a really fast pace, maybe there's still enough there for Austin Hooper, which is, I mean, that would basically be describing what we saw in Atlanta where, you know, he had to play behind Julio Jones was playing behind Calvin Ridley, but they just played so fast and threw so much that Hooper could still get enough targets, but that's just not going to be the case because his team is going to run the ball way more than his previous team did. Final question on that. Do you think that uh, Matt Ryan is good enough that in comparison to Baker Mayfield, it's possible that Hooper receives a pretty significant bump just have by having played with Matt Ryan or within that specific scheme? Yeah, I think Ryan is better than uh, than Mayfield. You know, just on, on a per attempt basis, he's he's proven himself uh, over the last five years. All right, that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online and the FFPC for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.